0: the here really
1: what he needs to do is lead all time keep it flowing takes a big highline drive down the line you have entered our drive hi 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 hi, 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 hi podcast hello and welcome to the highline the corona bali protected special lego man and human punching bag kenoa igarashi takes the win over in bali there we watch Steph, as graceful as ever, Jack Freestone taking a win of some sorts in the Airborne, a more placid than expected Cape Fear at Shipstone's bluff as James Holland across finds out that a jet ski is not a trampoline, and Willy watches back this week as Willy gets chilly in Chile. All that and more in this week's Highline. The Highline is... Okay, so welcome to the Highline. Today we'll be covering a few things surfing related, talking about mainly the corona protected in Bali. But with me, I have Nick Clifford. Nick, how are you? Good, G'day. Good, thanks, mate. That's good. And Luke Win also. What's going on, mate?
2: Hello, boys. Doing good.
1: That's good. We'll start off diving straight in because it was a, a very interesting, you know, event to watch and it, it unfolded in quite an interesting way over at Karamas in Bali there. But we had um, Kanoa Igarashi taking his his maiden event win over Jeremy Flores in the final. A fairly decently scoring final there. I mean, we were talking about it earlier today, Nico. We didn't say um, we didn't see that being the final as far as having those surfers in it. So, I mean, how how did you see that playing out?
0: Yeah, I can't believe that final. That was crazy, wasn't it? Oh, they sort of blindsided me there. I had no idea that that would be the, the final outcome. I think there were so many guys that fell early, and that was something no one saw. I think everyone's fantasy team really took a hit there. But, I mean, yeah, good on him. bit unorthodox. He's celebratory actions, but good on him.
1: Yeah, on, we'll move on to the scores in a little bit. But, um, I mean, just on the overall form of everybody, we saw, obviously, a, a few guys that I think for, for a lot of guys, it was all about kind of self-confidence. You heard everyone saying they were going to smash everyone and Kanoa was one of those guys. I mean, Luke, did, did you, were you impressed by his surfing? Do you think he really backed up his talk?
2: Yeah, definitely. He opened up in the first round with like a one-point total butt, but then you kind of knew he was just angry at himself after that and came out absolutely swinging for the fences in every other round. His momentum that he built was pretty insane. He was just kind of got better as the comp went on and the flow that he carried in his surfing was nuts. It was pretty impressive for my liking.
1: Yeah, I I think I mean obviously surfing with a ton of confidence, but his boards looked like they were really really nice for those waves every you see a lot of a lot of guys when the waves are on their boards look good but he's kind of looked like they had that extra gear it was, it was like watching you know an f1 car go around a track he just had it on the limit at all at all times and i think that was made for some really impressive surfing
0: i think that he also had one of the best timing of the event like he's mm. he just seemed to be in the right spot hitting the section perfectly timed i mean we talked about him as a as a guy that swapped equipment in J bay last year and he just came across with absolutely crazy timing hitting the section perfect every time and like Luke he said he just built through the whole event like every heat he surfed he got better and better and better and looked looser and looser and looser like i didn't know who was going to win that final but i'm kind of stoked that he won one i wonder if this is going to be like that maiden victory and he just kind of runs with it now the rest of the year
1: yeah uh, he was saying in an interview i think in between his his quarter and his semi that um you know major turning points for him he, he looked back to J bay last year and, and saw that as a huge turning point in his performance and also in um you know in in results and how he was feeling and he said earlier in this heat he maybe had another one of those turning points and obviously it worked out for him going on to get the win there do you see him going on and and i suppose pushing her for a few more results and you know challenging for supposedly a world title down the track winnie
2: possibly yeah like he looks so sharp if he can click into that focus every event, yeah, he's going to be a complete competitor. He didn't hold back. He delivered on every section. You boys touched on his timing. It was bang on. And you could see him smashing that in pretty much any contest. It'd be interesting to see if he can bring that approach into somewhere like Chopu or like a barreling nugget wave. Like he has delivered at Pite last year, so... Yeah, I don't know. He's definitely gone to another level.
1: Really good to see, especially from from a young guy who's really starting to get his, his feet on tour. We'll we'll go on and talk about the, the scores in the final and the specific waves, but I think the main point of contention that I saw from from a lot of people was um, the difference between the two high scores. So Kanoa with that nine one for, for linking, you know, a bunch of smooth turns. A lot of the criticism came from you know the fact that he opened and finished with a floater, um, whereas Jeremy Flores getting the the eight nine three for for his top score and whilst throwing a lot more power and I suppose anger into his turns, they're very very close scores. It's one of those ones you look at it either way. What's your input on that one, Nick? Can't believe I'm going to say this, but I agree with Potts. I think those scores were
0: reversed to me. That first turn Jeremy did, he opened up with that crazy layback and I don't know I saw that as such a risky manoeuvre and so much anger and just he's putting that just driving every turn that he did from the quarterfinals onwards and, and I just thought to me as a surfer I just saw that wave as the 9-1 and I saw Kanoa's as the 8-9 I know there's pretty much a hair within those scores but I just saw those scores flipped both big scores both the best ways of the final and at the end of the day I think Kanoa got the nod anyway in the heat but I thought those scores were reversed.
1: Yeah, I mean, you say there's there's a hair between those scores, but if it goes the other way, you think maybe the momentum of the Heat could shift to, to Jeremy. Um, I mean, Luke, what do you reckon was... What was your take on those two waves? Did Is that how you saw it or...?
2: I'm kind of on the judges' side of things, I think Kanoa's flow was just insane. The way he linked his turns, he was a smooth the whole way through the wave where Jeremy's just got that scrappier approach. It's a little stop-starty, but in saying that, that was probably the best I've seen Jeremy come out firing in, a, in like a manoeuvres-based contest.
1: Yeah, that's, I think, when when I saw him get to the final and obviously progressing through the event, I was interested to see how he could go if he if he made it to the final because with his previous wins coming at, um, you know, Chopes and, and Pipe, obviously... You know he's good in the barrel and he's a great surfer. I think his boards look really good under his feet and I think that kind of helped him. That's that confidence and momentum you need to get through a few heats in an event like this. But for, for me, the difference between those two waves, I know that Kanoa started and finished finished his waves with floaters, but was there anything else you could do on those sections? I think maybe the end section you could probably hit a bit harder, but the first section probably called for a floater.
0: It definitely did probably call for that type of maneuver and the only way you can kind of break this down for those two scores i mean judges are looking at speed power and flow Kanoa had speed he had the power on a couple of his turns and he definitely had flow through those turns yeah. it ticked all three probably through that wave whereas jeremy kind of maybe looked a little bit jerky on a couple of turns he definitely had the power you know and he might not have had the same speed as Kanoa and that's why those scores were a little bit different that's the only way i've logically
1: broken that score down yeah obviously there's a hair in it but i mean going further on into the heat those last couple of waves that jeremy had you could see him really trying to force it if he got the wave i think he probably would have had a good chance of you know getting a score and and taking the win there Kanoa for how good he was surfing i don't think he really took command of that heat and put it out of reach um which is if you just saw that one wave he had and saw you know his highlights through the event you kind of would have thought he steamrolled sort of through everyone just with how confident and how smooth and powerful he was surfing um so I think Jeremy may be a little bit unlucky there but still good to see him make a final I think he a lot of guys still you know they see him as getting hard done by the judges a lot of the time there there's there's been a few events where you see him trying his hardest and that's one thing you can't take away from the guy his passion is is great to see i'd like to see him take that approach to a few more events um and obviously he's getting rewarded for it a lot more here where i think you have to go for it a bit more we talked about it in the lead up to the event that just the i suppose that aggressive approach is going to get scores and we'll move on to the the judging criteria in a bit but i think that really linked up with how jeremy was surfing through the event what do you what do you think nick
0: 100 percent. he finally came out and sort of got to connect it all together in an event and i don't think we've seen jeremy do that very often and i think sometimes his passion sort of gets in the way of sometimes just linking the dots and making the heat he sort of wears his heart on his sleeve and like we said just before with the momentum of a heat he gets a bit of a score that he might think suspect and all of a sudden he's down on himself and he won't keep performing so i think that's something that we haven't seen a lot of and i just hope that he can kind of carry this forward and just dominate because He's almost underrated now. He he was so talented when he first came on tour. He got on super young. He's been there forever. I just hope he goes to town in the upcoming events.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I mean, we'll move on to the broader event as a whole. There were some great performances throughout the event. Uh, some that you wouldn't have expected, and and some guys that we saw fall away that uh, you know you would have expect. We talked a lot about the consistency of a lot of guys in in an event like this, and how if you were to lose early you'd look at that as dropping a lot of a a lot of points we saw a lot of guys fall out of the draw early but rather than talk about that who who impressed you most throughout the event luke
2: wade carmichael dude is a beast the turns that he was linking in those earlier rounds were just savage his flow speed power flow game is probably the best on tour it was insane to just see those massive hacks that he can just carve through a wave and have such a consistency with it doesn't kind of matter what the wave does he kind of can keep his flow going which is super hard to do and he's probably the best guy at it right now it's weird it'd be like him and john john i reckon
0: i sort of agree with that he 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 rides large merrick fins and their futures and he was overpowering them on a couple of turns like almost getting the
1: death wobbles through the middle of a carve. they were psycho in his heat yeah, the standout heat for for Wade was in his round of 16 against uh, Joanne. Um, 15.5 total, he had an 8 and a 7.5. And yeah, the just the speed and just the pure power just through those carves was, I think it was pretty incredible. Everyone knows he can do that. And I think that's that formula that's worked well out Karamas for guys like Berez in the past, where if you've got a nice, clean, open face, like, that showing that much power is always going to wow the judges. So that that formula is going to work for almost anybody, um, which is which is good to see. And especially from someone like Wade, who out of all the Australians, you wouldn't pick him as being you know one of the higher ranked ones at this point of the year. Anyway, was there anyone that that you know took note for you, Nick?
0: I agree with Winnie on the on the Wadeo. Uh, the guy that kind of stood out for me a little bit though was Juan Duru. I mean. He beat John John but he was doing some big sky hooks. He was surfing so good. Those big calves, powerful, and he looked a little bit more relaxed, a little bit freer. I didn't see him getting past that heat, but when he did, even against Wado, he, he sort of kept fighting. That was a cool heat, and it was good to see him kind of get above a 33rd. It was just
1: nice for him, probably for his confidence too. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys where his surfing is is there. I don't know if surfing a heat really surfs how uh, really suits how good he surfs, um, but when you see him connect with the wave, especially on the back end, he has a lot of power. He's one of those guys uh, like Italo where doing a backhand turn is, is hard enough, but to actually do a powerful backhand turn is, is that next level. Um, for, for me, I, I was impressed with Kelly. We kind of almost wrote him off a little bit before the event saying that, um, you know, he might not be able to keep up with the young guys in, you know, in a wave like Karama's. I thought his surfing kind of it, it picked up a little bit. His heat totals weren't, you know, excellent the whole time. Maybe a victim to just the scale staying pretty low, especially through those earlier rounds. But uh, a combination of, you know, him getting back to I think having a lot of that drive. You saw him after after he beat Philippe splashing the water and I haven't seen that from him almost ever. Like just for, for making it through uh, it, not winning an event, but just any sort of the rounds I haven't seen that level of passion from him his boards look pretty good riding not what you would expect him to to be riding getting boards off Akila Ipa, which uh, what I heard was that he hadn't had a board off him from for since like 94 or something like that he'd had a single fin shaped off him and he got a pack of five boards and and this one that he was riding felt amazing so I think it speaks a lot about having good equipment under your feet or something you're confident in but his heat performances I think gave me a bit of hope that he's gonna you know get through this year and and not have a bunch of 30 thirds which is which is great to see um not that i would expect him to be finishing dead last or anything but it was great to see him link a few turns and heats together totally agree i think the two things that stood out with me from
0: slater was the carve like the layback carve that he did i think round three that was just a mental old school power gouge super spicy and the other thing that got me was It's the first time I think I've seen Slater in the last few years, probably since he won his last world title, that he played the mental game against Felipe. He basically rattled him and put him out of his all sorts. Before he even paddled out, Felipe had lost that heat somehow. The waves turned on, like, just the excitement of that heat. But mentally, Felipe could have just gone to turns and dominated the guy probably, but... He got trapped in the mind game of Slater and that was so cool to see. That was
1: the best thing I've seen so far. Yeah, that's that's dangerous to to get trapped in that mental game with Kelly. There was a story of Philippe surfing the, the next right hander sort of up, up the um, the peninsula and Kelly paddled out and just fully blanked him, just didn't even say hi. <laughs> that's that's vintage Kelly that. He even mentioned that in these preheat yeah. <laughs> KFCs, so he just rattled, he told him told uh Ki-po. Kelly's scary. <laughs> <laughs> he is in in that zone. I think he's terrifying. What'd you make of his three o when he...
2: Oh, vintage Kelly. I don't know. I think they're pretty cool. They're super hard to do, to carve through a full 360 like that. But I don't know how relevant they are today. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. It's just good to see Kelly get his sea wizardry back.
1: Yeah, not only just through doing carving 3 but he seemed to be able to summon a few waves that we were talking about was, you know, that's the Kelly of old that we know we, and love is is Kelly being able to you know, summon any
2: wave and absolutely tear it to shreds, so. Do you think he got to Ubud and had to meditate? Wow.
0: He definitely might have. He might have just channeled his inner, inner Bali juju. I don't know when he was there last, but God, I can't believe the waves turned on for him. No one got a barrel before that quarterfinal and all of a sudden it was just a barrel fest.
1: Started absolutely turning it on, didn't he? Other than Kelly, so, and, and, and I mean, those other guys we talked about, Joanne and, and also, you know, Wado, there are a couple of other guys that were really good to watch. You look at the likes of Michael Rodriguez, someone like that making the, the semis is huge for, for a guy like that, but he had to overcome some tough names as well, and those those guys that we expected to, to be doing well um, earlier in the event, guys like Gabe Medina, Italo, John John, Geordie and Jules they all had premature exits to what we were expecting uh, I think this not only just the final and who's in that but just the overall result of this event went against anything that we were pre- predicting earlier so like we said it, it, anybody who's going to drop points earlier in the event it's almost like really falling behind but I think enough guys did it where it leveled the playing field a little bit it really shapes up excitingly for the title race
0: is Karamas, like, because it's a little bit more wave pool sort of orientated, you know, it's like that skate park, really fun, can offer everything. Does it sort of even up the playing field a little bit, do you think?
1: Well, ideally it, it would. Like we said earlier, it's those guys more with the talent, not the heat surfing acumen that you see a lot of guys be able to play get getting through the heats. But, yeah, you, you saw those guys that, that were confident in their surfing, at least. They, they were the guys to really get through. I don't know how you felt about it, Winnie, but... I enjoyed the whole comp not only for the result and the surfing that went down but just seeing those bigger guys struggle a little bit when you would have expected them to excel I, I enjoyed watching it
2: yeah it was crazy all of the big dogs that you expect to absolutely dominate in a wave like Karamas all fell away and like you guys said the title race is going to be pretty exciting knowing that that has kind of evened it up it kind of has that feel like it's going to be another year where there's just going to be a multitude of different dudes winning the events it's not going to be like gabby winning every event it seems like it's going to be a year where there's a different name on every podium
1: yeah that's exciting to see i think i think it's good for the sport i'll be totally honest i
0: thought when all those big guys fell away it was going to be a boring event I, I, I sort of lost interest when they had those couple of lay days for a bit and I thought I don't know how I'm going to keep watching this event and it was a total backflip was, I was excited the entire time guys I didn't really rate stepped up and provided great moments it was. It turned out to be such a sick event and the waves really showed up in the end
1: yeah um, big big call from KP to be uh, you know leaving it down to the last, last day of the waiting period again um paid off the the waves were really good for that final day he didn't really have a whole lot to work with I think that little little down, that dip in swell in the middle of the the waiting period kind of forced his hand a little bit there but yeah I I think like we said that that event even though it had the break in the middle and it's easy to kind of lose interest a little bit there they the type of surfing that went down was was exciting it was great to see Uh, so moving on to I mean I'm sure we'll end up talking about judging after every event but I think it really baffled me in, in this one I don't know if you guys felt the same about it but I think with the scale being set fairly low in those earlier rounds, that really confused things for a lot of viewers, they, they weren't sure whether it was like this, this, the level of surfing when you look back at the heat totals, you, you saw you know, mid, mid-range heat totals and it might not have been the most exciting thing to you know want to go back and watch through but some of the surfing for, for guys getting you know fives and sixes was, was pretty incredible to watch
2: Hard
0: work, wasn't it, to just think about it? Like, someone would blow up, do five good turns, and get a five. Not only for the confidence of the surfer, it would be pretty hard, but I don't think I was really accustomed to that, and it kind of frustrated me a little bit. I think maybe they almost need to just explain the criteria before the day, you know, KP does the call, and then the judges do a little call as well, It'll be like, this is what we're scoring today. So everyone's across why it was a five, instead of questioning the judges or getting angry at the judges for doing their job.
1: They, they actually, I do recall seeing it in, at, at Bells, they, they actually displayed the judging criteria for the day and they always talk about how the surfers receive a text message every morning with the criteria and you know what's going to be getting scores, but that's not really related to the viewer as clearly, I think, as what it should be. We'll talk about making judges and, and that whole process a bit more accountable in, in a minute, but I don't know. I, I wanna see I wanna know what your opinion is on this, Luke, because I know Nick really thought Joanne was a good surfer and, and this applies to him, so I'll get more of a neutral view. But I felt that like the judges were really scoring critical turns, not and, and kind of disregarding whether you timed it well or not. That the wave uh, in the heat where Joanne beat John John, that turn he did on the backhand, it was the, the big vertical turn right in the pocket. I felt it was slightly mistimed and then he went into that big hack. Um, not only that but you saw in Leo Fiavanti's heat where uh, he got the 7 for again another really big first turn which which seemed slightly mistimed but just going for that first section tended to get you the score. I don't know how you felt about it Luke but I think there was a bit of I think it, it was a bit odd seeing seeing bigger scores get thrown out for mistimed turns.
2: Yeah, yeah, that kind of baffled me a little bit. Just because the guy's on a set wave and he hits the critical section, he was getting rewarded. And I find that kind of weird if the turn was mistimed or it wasn't a great turn. They still gave him the points for getting it up there on a set, which at this level, I think you need to be smashing it. And if you're mistiming a turn or it's looking ugly or whatever it is, they should be getting held accountable with that in the scoring. It's kind of, for me, it seems like there's two scales going on. If you're a big dog like John John, Geordie, Italo, Philippe, or you're a lesser dude like a Joanne, there's different expectations. The judges will hold back if you're a John John or the big guys. They kind of expect you to throw everything at it. Where if you're a Joanne or somebody else, just putting it up there on a set kind of gets you the points, and it's—I don't know—I think they need to be holding everybody to the same account.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it's a bit of a standards thing. It's you know what you expect from one guy compared to the other. I'll go to you now, Nick. <laughs> now that we've uh, got past Joanne, uh talk about Leo's wave for, for you. What did you see there?
0: I saw him bogging a rail a little bit there, and I disagree with Winnie a little bit in the sense that. I think the right person won every single heat and big guys are getting small scores as well for going big, but they're also getting rewarded when they do go to town. I didn't see Leonardo's heat as a really critical heat in terms of judging. I think those big guys really just put it there and hoped that they would get the score. And I think the judges held him accountable and wanted to see more. But I also think because the waves were so fun and so playful, those underdog guys got a chance to show what everyone what they can do and how smooth they can be
1: Yeah, and I, I suppose the counter argument to all of this is at least they were being consistent which uh, that's that's all you really want to ask from your judges that it's consistent I just think they could convey it to the viewers a little bit better uh, I mean they do treat the viewers a lot on the WSL like their first time watchers uh, and it's the people that are coming back repeatedly that are going to notice the differences between the judging um, which I think is ninety nine point nine percent of the viewership. Uh, the thing that got me as well was, and we'll we'll go back to those final scores in in the final between Jeremy and and Kanoa. Uh, the spread on the judging, especially on Jeremy's wave, the the high score for Jeremy's this we're talking about is he's eight nine three here. The high score was a nine five, um, and the low score was an eight three. I mean, that's that's over a point spread between the guys. We, we're talking about, you know, ho- upholding a standard for these judges. Do you think they should have to fall in between, you know, a, a set, a point difference between two, say, or uh, or do you think it's just more about consistency, Luke?
2: I'm happy for a bit of variation in each of the judges. It is a subjective sport and everybody kind of views a performance differently, so I'm not... Too worried about there being a bit of a spread, but yeah, as long as that every judge kind of has their scale and is consistent to that, I think that's kind of where the consistency needs to lay. Yeah, it's hard to know because they don't have the flag for wherever the judge is from, so you don't know who's scoring what or what their consistency is. If you're able to see that on every wave, it would definitely help. Yeah, you're actually
1: able to see that on the website, and I looked that up for. Jeremy's wave in the final and the thing I really like is the nine five, the high score, that comes from the French judge. And uh and the low score comes from the US judge. So maybe he was trying to push Kanoa through to get him back on the US team and away from the Japanese. What do you reckon?
0: Totally. Maybe uh was gonna do a shift now he's coming second in the world, just go back over to the US. Yeah. Throw a spanner in the works.
2: Qualify for the Olympics.
0: Surely he's not gonna do that.
2: Do you think the Olympics is kind of having like a unconscious influence on how people are getting through heats, trying to keep certain random countries in the mix?
0: I saw today Japan Olympic team put up a video of Kanoa winning a, winning the event, like his celebratory thing. So I think it's having a pretty big influence on a lot of countries right now, especially Japan.
2: Yeah. Yeah, pretty interesting. I, I kind of feel there's these weird little undercurrents going on. There's like a lot of kind of power plays all leading up to the olympics
1: yeah it's funny when when you talk about the olympics and you, you see you see some names and you're like surely that guy's going to make it and, and then you see like someone like julian you think surely he's got to make it and you look at the rankings and he's a long way down and there's that chance he might miss out and there's probably a, a, an argument to say who would be in the australian team uh, for, for us all being australians we kind of would want to know who we want to see represent our country and i think julian would be a good guy for that but if it's based off the rankings and he's not making it then he's going to miss out
0: I see right now the US team is the clearest team Jocelyn for a bit of Olympic action like Connor's stepped it up this year Kolohei has looked super hungry the last couple of events I mean bit of a mishap at Bells but here and at D-Bar was crazy and obviously John John's in the mix the US team to me is like the team that have all been like I want to make the team I want to make the team so they're like all Jocelyn and stepping it up
1: who would you choose out of the Brazilians? You can only pick two. Italo and Gabby. Luke? Italo
2: and Felipe. Interesting.
1: I mean, there's gonna be some good guys that miss out. That's that's yeah. the crazy thing. And I think that's what's intriguing about it and what's adding this bit of extra excitement for, for this year. Which is which is good to see and it's kinda it's good to track. So moving on as we talk about the Olympics and the Japanese team, Kanoa, as a guy and as a surfer this was his first event when was one where I know a few people that, that predicted it to, to come at some point and they predicted it from a very early stage as, as a surfer, I think he he's surfing's looking pretty incredible at the moment. As we said, his his timing is impeccable. He's got the speed, he's got the power and he's got some like an incredible bag of tricks too. There was that, that big corrupt flip that he almost landed in the semi, I believe. And, it's, it's that progression. I mean, that would have been insane if he made that. But I think his surfing is really exciting. It's, it's good to watch. I don't know how I feel about his claims, though. <laughs> they were a bit over the top for me. That's just me with most claims in general. How, how do you how do you approach him as, as a guy, Winnie?
2: I don't mind the passion and the claims, but kind of feels like he's his athlete mode, like some kind of surf jock almost. I think he kind of sees himself as an athlete above being a surfer. I don't know, it's a kind of weird way to look at it, but he... It's
1: a weird way to look at it, but it's, I think, for the purpose of what I'm about to say, he, he's from Huntington, he's American, and I think that the big problem with all the Americans that were, that have come up up until, you know, uh, Kolohe this year is they were afraid to show that passion. Like, it was almost not cool if you were trying hard. And I think guys like when they step it up and show that they care, they're starting to get those results. Like it, it it's not uncool to you know try to want to win. Like you want to leave a legacy in the sport, and you can't do that by smoking cigarettes and acting acting like a mad dog.
0: <laughs> I think there's got to be a clear distinction between trying to sell it and passion. Jack Freestone trying to sell a five as a seven bullshit. <laughs> Kanoa claiming a nine that's worth it and that's passion.
1: Yeah. Everyone's different. The no claim claim is the way to go. Little, Stephanie little, Gilmore ten. Little tug of the tug of the sleeves. That's the limit for me.
0: Steph Gilmore just staunching a ten. Just didn't even look at the tower, just went, yeah. You all know where to put it.
1: <laughs> what got a lot of people and we you talked about being a surf jock is that clip of Kanoa when he wins the final and he starts punching himself in the head, you know, revving himself up and and after taking a win going as you'd say, full American, and saying that's how we do, and <laughs> going like a full American surf bro. What was cool is I, I think a lot of people would write him off as still being an American, and and I'm probably amongst that crowd. But seeing him take the initiative and speaking Japanese in between his heats and his post heats, I thought that was that was a cool touch, and you get you definitely get some points back for me for that. But I don't think the head punching's on.
2: Too excessive. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you boys on that one
1: i'd love to see him show up to margie's with a black eye
2: <laughs> self-inflicted couple of stitches on his face yeah yeah
1: one of those ones where he caught himself a little bit too sweet and
2: <laughs> <laughs> the
1: other thing i want to bring up about kanoa the dyed hair does he look like a lego man
0: when i was in japan this year i saw a boy band and they all had sort of like dyed blonde hair and they were like the one direction of japan <laughs> i think he's just trying to be the one direction
1: of japan trying to be notable
0: (laughs) the one man band
1: the one one man band. i mean he's he's not gonna have to fight to be accepted like we saw uh the japanese surf team taking him under the wing as being one of our own and and winning comps and stuff like that so i don't know i don't think he needs to dye his hair to assimilate but does it
0: alone he had the blonde hair too yeah
1: doesn't look as much like a lego man though i don't think
0: (laughs) he's pretty short and stocky
2: Kanoa's is like a perfect wig. It's like it's just plonked on there and you can take it off and put it back on. It's, it's epic.
1: If all surfers were Lego men, who would be the one you'd
2: like, least likely want to step on in the dark?
0: <laughs> would you slip on Slater's head? It's pretty shiny.
2: That, that's probably the best one to step on. Yeah, that would <laughs> hurt the least. Slide straight off. Less corners.
0: <laughs> oh, shit, I don't know who would want to tread on.
1: Derbage's chin <laughs>
2: oy <Orky. laughs> uh,
1: okay let's move on to the the rankings um, big big movers obviously Kanoa with the win he's moved up to second in the world which is huge uh, I think he's come out with a bit of intention saying that he's not just won his first event but he I think he would he'd agree that he's now in that he can push on and, and become part of that world title conversation if he keeps that consistency up two ninths and a first. I mean, you're going to have to be getting slightly better results than a ninth, but it'll be interesting to see how he backs this up over in in West Oz and and where he goes from here. Other, Other big movers, obviously Jeremy. Those two guys make the final, especially when they're a bit further down in the rankings at the time. It's always going to propel them up. And the other one, Kelly, breaking into the top 10, is he going to make a charge for the world title, Luke?
2: Yeah. It's going to be one of those years where somebody different wins every event, but Kelly's going to play Mr. Consistent get to the quarters at the very least in in every comp he's had one throwaway he's got one more but i can see him being the sneaky dark horse just playing mr consistent he might win chopes or pipe i reckon he'll only win one if he does but he'll play the consistent role to get there
0: he's already got champagne in the trophy and one hand on it with those mind games against (laughs) philippe
2: it's what you want to see him bring back that sea wizardry just psyching everybody out
0: just calls Healy, lets him know when his heat is and just dials in the waves for it every time.
1: <laughs> I mean, okay, so the top five at the moment is John John, Kanoa, Idlo, Philippe, Kolohe. I expect three of those five at least to be to be fighting it out for a title come the end of the year. Look at guys like uh Gabby. Gabby's down in tenth at the moment. He's got a little bit of catching up to do. He's always a bit sleepier at the start of the year, but One of my favorite things that I've seen on commentary this year was Strider uh, asking the boys if if they thought Gabby was going to be in the title at the end of the year. And uh, Ronnie was just like, mate, of course, it's Gabriel Medina. Do you think he's not? And Strider took a long pause and was like, "Ah, I just wanted to see what you guys thought. So what do you guys think?
0: As if he's not going to be in the title. God damn. He's always going to be in the title. He always goes crap for five events in the first half of the year. And by crap, I mean... Bits and then just wins france portugal and pipe
2: yeah is this a beast he's kind of like early kelly where he's he's like a cat playing games with a, a mouse he'll let it think it's gonna live and then play with it play with it and then strike at the last second
0: did mitch colborne throw his confidence at Crewe though
1: he could have could have that could have been a huge huge turning point in the title race who would have thought mitch colborne would be playing it playing a card.
0: Gabby would be punching darts and drinking beers at the next event, changing That's his it. tactics. Getting a
1: full sleeve of just snake tattoos with swords going through and with wings on it. <laughs> okay, so uh, again, we, we talked about the the Olympics. The top two actually for Brazil at the moment is Italo and Philippe. So that'd have Gabby missing out, um, which I think would be huge. Like he's that guy's a superstar over there. And you look at the Olympics as a sport, in the Olympics I think surfing will look to use it to grow grow its brand and I think the way that countries will see their surfers will, will play a big part in that you look at guys I think G- Gabby for, for Brazil is one where you'd almost need him there just to just as a name and I think Kelly's another one Kelly's Kelly's up there at the moment if it weren't for John John
0: just just briefly. Who would your two picks be for Australia? Because I know you're going to get to it in the rankings, but who would you just off the top of your head pick for Australia's team?
1: I would be going Julian and Owen. Winnie? Julian and
0: Freestone. Let's
1: have a look at the rankings. Well, I mean, at at the moment you've, uh, at the top, you've actually got Wade, Wade Carmichael, the Grug from the Central Coast, and then you've got Ryan Callanan. I mean, Newcastle's having a good time at the moment, aren't they?
0: eastern new south wales just all located in the one
1: area that's it so i mean if it were those two to represent my country i wouldn't be disappointed at all like we talked about wade earlier and i think he's he's impressive not only when you get a big clean open face but in small ways he just seeing that guy move his rig around the lineup is pretty impressive and and ryan is as a fellow goofy footer he's one of my one of my favorites i Would love to see him be able to put his free surfing parts into events, and he does from time to time. Uh, I don't think either of those guys would be a disappointment to have representing Australia for the Olympics.
2: I'd actually want to flip mine out and put R.K.L. in there instead of Jack.
1: R.K.L.
0: is so good, but I just worry if it's in Japan and it's one foot howling onshore, Julian would be useless. Like, he would be so bad. Where, and Wado might be a bit too heavy. Alcal is the number one pick for Australia.
1: Out of the Australians, who do you think would overload on the sushi and, and not be able to perform?
0: The Gosford Grug. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so I think that's enough for, for part one, the, the Corona Bali Protected. Still don't know why they've called it that, but that's what it's called. So we'll move on to part two, which is, which is the women's component of, of that event. A great final to watch. Not for uh, not so much for a battle, but that ten from Stephanie was absolutely gorgeous. One of the one of the better waves I saw all event over Sally in the final. It must hurt being Sally trying to get barreled the whole heat, and then Steph, you know, comes out and pulls into a nice little nugget, comes out and combos it up, drops a ten. It must be hard for for you knowing when that's your game plan, and the person who wasn't, you know, using that plan at all ends up executing it.
0: Sally must feel right at home, number two. <laughs> the poor woman. How does she keep doing it? She's so good. Comes second every time. The Steph could not be beaten.
1: No, I, that's that's a wave that is going to suit Steph down, you know, all the way to the, you know, from a from a hair to her wax. It's uh, it's it's a good combination to watch. But I, what'd you make of the ten, Luke? I thought it was one of the one of the better ways I've seen out Karamas. Full stop.
2: It was mental, like even if it was on the guy's side of the draw, it's a bloody high score and number. That kick stall that she did was insane. Full 80s style kick stall into that barrel. Just read the barrel perfectly. Oh, even before that, she threw a hell carve and then came down into the kick stall. And then that close out manoeuvre, Whoa. I would not be hitting their clothes out like that. That was mental because I, I
1: thought that when she came out of that barrel, I was like, Yeah, that's that's a high score. And then she almost without even I don't think she expected to hit it, but I think if Kanoa did that turn on on the that the final section of his wave in the men's, I think that would have sealed it. It was it was a much better wave. That was attacking that section, not just finishing the wave. That was great to see.
0: I think that there's no other woman on the tour at the moment that has the style of Steph. Like that 10, I mean, Courtney Cotteron could have got that 10 and and you know made the most of that. She's a great barrel rider as well. But just the way that Steph came out of that barrel, like almost just steezed out and then just went, end section, and just hit it. It was the first end section she hit all day. And just to hit it with that much power and speed and flow was awesome. Even in, I think it was a semi, she needed a good score, and the layback... Down calf she did she like gouged out like caused rain on the other side of the island there was that much water moving from it but no one just has that nice on the eye style in the women's in my opinion
1: yeah I, I think when they when they interviewed steph she was saying that she was a bit frustrated because she hadn't really been able to break into that excellent range in the heat she got her wish i mean that wave for, for anyone they're going to be stoked you compare that 10 to say the the one at bells for for courtney and i think that's a concrete 10 that's one you expect to, to be a 10 the one at bells is on a big wave and, and all but i think that's that's what you want to see is you know that's complete surfing for me and my favorite part of of that whole win for steph is how long it takes him to uh to chair him up the beach i swear she was it took him about 40 minutes to get her up to the podium
0: punch two beers before she even <laughs> got there that was ridiculous she fully sculled a beer while on the chair what can't she do
1: i know it's a dream. It's a dream. Um, the The final was was a bit of a one sided affair. There were some other good matchups in in the event. Um, one of the better ones for me to watch was actually round one of uh, heat one of the round of sixteen, which was Carissa Moore and um, Paige Harib. Mainly just due to the, the battle that went on, and I think it was another point in the judging where it was a bit confusing, and it was everyone trying to work that out. But Paige highlighted how much you know why she's on tour she she was throwing some big backhand hooks on that wave the problem being on your backhand you can't throw much variety into it Steph look uh, not Steph sorry Uh, Carissa looked a little bit wobbly on a few of her turns and wasn't really linking as as much but just that advantage of being on your forehand it must it must make a big difference I mean you look at who was actually left in in the event in the quarters there was only one goofy footer in the women's. Left in the event, so obviously the natural footers have got a huge advantage. But I really enjoyed watching that heat just for the battle that went on, Uh, and obviously when you see someone as good as Carissa have that little bit of a a fault where you can see a weakness where it can almost be um, someone can you know she's human she can be beaten. I like seeing heats like that where the the you know the tour and the titles not all so one sided. I thought that was great to see. I don't know what you thought of it, Luke, but. That was one of my favourite heats to watch.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think this event, the girls were insane. It was super exciting to watch them. I was stoked on a lot of the heats that went down on the girls' side and getting like properly excited by the surfing that they were doing. Brissa Hennessy for me was skits. She's a new favourite. She had a lot of good power and flow and really good on the attack similar to Caroline Marks where she's up in the lip and attacking a lot
1: yeah I mean talking about Caroline Marks early exit in this comp I don't know if it was so much you know the weight of the yellow jersey being on her shoulders she won't have that at the next event as Steph is the new leader uh, I think again just the, the fact that your goofy footers can't mix it up as much in you know in a wave like Karam's I think that's what really hurt her in in a wave like that. You don't have as much space to kind of draw out your turns and create that variation where you can go vertical and then draw them out and, um, you know, mix it up a bit. And I think it's not a result I think she'll look back on and say it's a missed opportunity, but she knows her strengths and I don't know if she would have looked at this event as being one where she has to, you know, make quarters or better.
0: I think Carolyn Marks sort of, her surfing needs that slopier face like Bell's. And Karamas was a bit too steep for her to get up, you know, that nice big carving or, or you know, that vertical stab. She didn't quite have the time to get there, even though it was a little bit smaller. The other thing that I thought was sometimes I feel like the girls look a little bit disinterested sometimes. I don't know if you boys are saying that, but I mean, Carissa, I think it was a Carissa Barissa Heat. Um, she just didn't look like herself. She looks, it might have been early morning or something, but she looks sort of disinterested in the heat. She's so good, but just did not fire.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And I think, I don't know if it's one of those things where you have so much success and it's hard to kind of keep repeating that and have so much fire. It's it's hard to be someone like Kelly where all they want to do is just win and win and win. How, how Steph's done it without inside she's got that but outwardly she doesn't seem like she if her personality is not as ruthless as those other people that you've seen in any sport that have won multiple titles which is a, a great thing for for Steph but hey, I think it's it's one of those ones for someone like Carissa where I think it might just take a bit of a kick maybe you know she still progressed quite a way through the comp without really getting out of second gear if she was to lose earlier in the comp get unlucky that say that heat with page i think that might fire up to to look a bit more interested in it uh it's it's one of those things where just due to how small the women's tour is it i don't know if you just focus on individuals more but it seems like it's a bit easier to see you know one person winning and the others you know just doing whatever
0: sometimes i think it's not just carissa that does it but it might be due to the smaller tour but sometimes some of the girls just look like they almost don't want to be there or they just not in the mood to surf a heat. And it sort of shows, and it sort of brings the level of the surfing down sometimes. You watch a heat and it's a bit of a sleeper. Like you said, Steph doesn't have too many of those days. I hope she doesn't ever have one of those days. But the other one, you know, like Nikki Van Dyke was ripping this event, and then other events, she can't string two turns together. Like at Bells, she nosedived for the first four waves of a heat.
1: Yeah, and another one like that that, that uh, I think is confusing to me is someone like Silvana lima like obviously she's got a lot of performance and she's hungry but i think yeah she's not the type of person to to you know bring that intensity to every heat and every wave where you know you're going to be able to push it i mean she's sitting below the cut line at the moment which you wouldn't expect from someone who has that much talent i don't know how you feel about it luke but the women's tour being small i think it, it if you if you fall off the pace it's easy to fall off tour as well
2: yeah for sure it's crazy i was going to come into this week's podcast firing about making the guys to a smaller chop the fat have all the big names and have the top 16 and make it really tight but maybe maybe that's just what happens to every athlete no matter what gender and having a smaller tour kind of exposes that more you'd probably have the same thing on the guys tour but because there is more it gets hidden because there's other performances by a lot more people so yeah it's kind of interesting
1: definitely yeah the size of the tours is is something that will continually be brought up i, I think it's something that needs to be addressed but when probably the people that can discuss it and not do much about it. Um, looking at the, the rankings for, for the women's, you've got Steph, Caroline, Courtney, Carissa, Sally. That's a super strong top five. It's hard for a lot of other girls to break into that. We said we wanted to see Malia up there this year. She's actually equal fifth, um, but dropped down a couple of places after you know some strong results, especially from from Steph jumping above her. Uh, others that are not quite on the pace, Lakey sitting down in eighth. Uh, I talked about someone like Silvana, but she's down in fifteenth. And then we talked about Macy Callahan trying to get out of that rut that she seems to be in at the moment. She's down in sixteenth, which there's a little bit of work, you know, to be done for her to get back into a requalifying position. Again, very condensed, very condensed tour. There's not much room for error. Uh, it's makes it exciting, I think. If you know, if the fire is there, and you know, they get get waves and we get to see some good performances then i've got no problems with the small tour
0: as long as everyone's firing small tour is great um people like macy she's got more than a little bit of work to do she's got a lot of work to do to get back on the pace with those girls even inside the top 10 not the top five um i haven't seen her perform this year and it's a bit of a shame really because she as a junior she was one of the best girls i had high hopes for her after seeing her at a World Juniors event when she won. I was thinking she was the next sort of Steph, but it's yet to sort of deliver.
2: Yeah, on Macy, I surfed with her in a billabong team event at the start of the year before the tour kicked off and she was ripping and looked really spicy, but I think she's just got to try and figure out tour life, travelling around, going from country to country and trying to keep that fire happening in every event
1: yeah again i think that just speaks to the, the cutthroat situation of having such a small tour like she's obviously you know a great surfer and has been surfing good but not getting the results is so that that'll probably do us for all the action over in bali uh next on on the schedule for for the men and women is uh western australia Margaret River pro one of my favorite events of the year just due to the fact that there's so many options Main break might not be the most entertaining way to watch, but when it gets big, I, I think it's that end section. It's seeing guys go go for it over that, especially when you know how gnarly it is. is one of my favourite things to see, so can't wait for that one. And that should do for, for part two. We'll move on to part three, a few specialty events to cover. Uh, we'll start with the WSL Airborne, so we're actually back in Bali. <laughs> Jack Freestone taking the win in that one. We picked Jack for a, a, a result. In, in Bali. Well I know Luke did. Was, he got a result. That's
2: good. Yeah, he came away with the airborne win. It's weird. He was going hard in the in the airborne comps, throwing down pretty big punts and and then you kind of want him to carry that confidence into the main event and do the same in, in his normal heats. But he kind of took the foot off the gas a little. It was a bit baffling for me.
0: I think he suffers from Joel Parkinson's. He looks a bit too smooth a little bit too, too shaky? just yeah too shaky now nah, he, he looks like he's always just too smooth and effortless doesn't look like he's putting in a lot of effort and that's what happened in the main event for him <clears throat> on that airborne thing though jack looked a cut above those air guys again it was a ct guy that looked so much better than air guys and it's starting to get a bit frustrating for me to watch these airborne's when it's just CT guys going ham above these so-called air guys, and they are going to need to step it up for France or do something a little bit different to keep my interest in this event.
1: Yeah, I think there's they're two very valid points. Uh, one of them made by Luke, which is uh, wanting to see Freestone do that in in the real comp. I think him, his his consistency, you saw it in round one. He can do airs in his sleep, but he he tends to hold back quite a lot in when it comes to his heats. For the CT guys, if they're finding it so easy in this airborne, you know, format, someone like Jack should be able to translate that. It's almost a practice event for him. He should be able to translate that to the to the main event with no worries at all. And I think it's it's one of those ones where, yeah, the 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 level of those tour guys, especially in a competition format, they know how to do it. And I think that's the reason they're getting the jump over these air guys. The air guys, I think, have just got to figure out how to do it because they're free surfers a lot of them and have been free surfers from a fairly young age when they've decided not to do comps anymore and it takes a while for them to get that back but yeah I think time's limited for them to try and figure it out before you know it's too late and everyone loses interest in the event
0: I know Winnie you're a real big air guy you, you love your punts you've got pogo sticks for legs but I, I honestly cannot think that these guys must have so much time to make a clip Because I I can't think of them ever making something huge in any heat. Ian Crane did a couple of weird flippy spins. Matt Miola, same sort of thing. But just goes to show these guys are spending a year on these clips, not 40 minutes, and CT guys are going out there and Jack did about 10 good airs in 15 minutes and Chipper was sitting out the back going left.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's a valid point, but I also think the pressure of competition can just completely... Ruffle your feathers, Do, even if it's a supposed fun competition, it kind of puts some weird mental juju onto you, and you're doing stupid shit and taking off on waves that you shouldn't be and
1: going left. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think you know if you're surfing and somebody said to you you have to land an air on your next wave, at that, that pressure you're probably not even going to be able to get out of the water. Like you you'll crumble. But yeah, I I think again, what the one that surprised me is Matt Miola like I I thought he was a lot more consistent than, than what he is. like I think he's only landed like two airs and you know in the two comps this year. one of them being that rodeo which I thought was a little bit underscored from Karamas just because I reckon they're sick but you see guys where you watch their video part and you see him land you know 40 50 airs in a three minute clip but when it comes to spending you know, 45, 50 minutes, in the lineup, it's hard for them to, to put it all together.
2: I think someone like Miola, he suits like a certain type of wave. He's used to those Maui waves where it's super powerful and he's got those howling winds that helping him get the air and bring it back down. And as soon as he's in, in a beach, he just kind of doesn't translate as this well. Event,
0: if they just had run it at night or done something to spice it up, just to take away from maybe like non-makes and things like that, i think that might have like generated a little bit more interest that's a valid point saying maui's got the wind and the power but i mean yeah the waves weren't great and Josh Kerr said no airs before midday and that was broken but <laughs> bali usually has that 14 15 and above sort of period and that's power compared to Deba. i would have thought there was heaps more power out there for those guys
2: yeah for sure yeah, I like the idea of running it at night or bringing a little bit more novelty element into it, taking the pressure off the guys so it's not a super comp comp and, yeah, just make it exciting for the viewers.
1: I don't know how serious they took it. They, From from what they were saying, they all got barkled the night before the comp and they all had to get there at 6 in the morning. So, I mean, that's just the lifestyle those guys like, right? the, the There's... Two people that really impressed me. Ian Crane for trying the same air over and over and over again and finally nailing it. And Eric Garzeman, that guy is incredible. I think he's one of the best surfers. One of the best free surfers, but, I mean, he's, he's doing comps here and there. He's I'd love to see more of him around.
0: We've mentioned him before, but Eli Hanneman is the other young 16-year-old. That, that big spin full rotation de loopy thing was next level that was so big i was pumped on that air
1: Righto, strata good air explanation <laughs>
2: what do you actually do luke i can't even remember it is the kid's a freak his knees jesus landing in the flats like he does is psycho he throws some crazy spins um he's going to be an absolute weapon when he's older yeah
1: I mean, I think that's what this event should be almost like a, a one where you throw a bunch of younger kids in because that younger generation, you know, typically are the more progressive where they're, they're doing their reverses. I don't know, you see like seven-year-old kids doing their reverses and they can really progress. I think it should be more of a, a you know, a stage for those guys to, to come and improve themselves. And uh, I think rather than giving, you know, the well-established guys who are already kind of making I don't know how much money is in free surfing for these guys, but rather than giving those guys a platform to keep doing whatever they they've been doing for years, I think it would be better to see a bunch of younger kids like Eli and and guys like that who are who are gonna be able to come through. It was good to see the Indos too. Um mm. I mean, we've been to, to I've been to Indo a couple of times and some of the surfers there are, are insane. It was good to see those guys get a bit of a platform to show you how good they are as well. So the next one over in France, let's hope a little bit of time for the guys to practice, or or not it doesn't really matter apparently. So um, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see how how they go leading up to that. the The other event that we had was uh, just over a week ago, Cape Fear down at Shipstone's Bluff. Nathan Florence winning the first event that he says he's ever won. That was sick to see. I love Nathan. I love watching ways like that. As much of I would have loved to have. Seen it be a little bit bigger and more consistent, but still always a spectacle and a welcome specialty event to anyone's week.
0: 100%. That was a cool event to watch. I didn't actually watch that much of it. And yeah, sometimes the swell just doesn't show up how you want it. And unfortunately for big wave surfing, I think sometimes it falls into the category of if someone is not going to die every time they take off, it's almost not worth watching. And that sucks because those guys are super skilled at what they do. I think we were just fixing the airborne but we could fix this one by saying you've either got a paddle or your toe not both of them
1: so just before the final um nathan florence was talking to all the surfers that were that were in the final convincing them all to paddle because from from what he saw he thought it was well and truly paddleable so i think there's got to be a clear distinction between toe and paddle like they did in the first one at, at ours where maybe you get one wave where you get towed that scored and one wave where you paddle that scored and you've got an hour per heat. I think that would be a better format but yeah it, it's one of those things where I think among those guys they know if it's going to be a tow surfer if it's going to be a paddle surfer and it was good to see Nathan be able to get the win by paddling
0: 100% but I also think if you paddle you get a better score and if you tow you get a worse score they gave that 10 out to a tow wave and and yeah it was a great wave but i disagree i don't think you should be able to get a 10 when you tow and these rules i reckon apply to the wsl in the big wave world tour where if you can paddle you paddle and if you rock up and it was like they did at jaws too windy too big to paddle or well, you toe and then it just makes it more exciting for everyone and viewership is always good
1: and just adjust the scale accordingly i i think that's the way to go i couldn't find it anywhere online but i heard a few people saying that they're the supposed scale for this event would be if you were paddling, your max score was, say, a 10, and then if you were getting towed, that ceiling was a little bit lower, so, say, an 8, which is why I found it a bit baffling that James Hollomacross could, could get that 10 in the final being towed. Uh, it was a mental wave. Like, I would have come out of it absolutely screaming and saying I deserved a 20, but it was uh, it was a wave like that where I, I think it sh- it... it thrust the validity of an, an, an event like this into the spotlight where if it's not going to be judged to the standard that they, you know, they're preaching then what what's the point Laurie towner coming second again paddling and that was that was awesome to say i think james on McCross just didn't he only had the one wave in the final as a 10 and i think the result was was fine i if he would got another wave and you know just rolled in and got a couple of points just to climb above Laurie. Uh, I'd probably have a bit more of a problem with it, but it added for a bit of extra viewing, got to see a mental wave. I just think, yeah, they need to adjust that scale a little bit more. My my favourite moment from from this entire event was um, James Holland across again. He's 9.17 to ski grind, where he <laughs> flicked off the back of the wave and just got absolutely baptised by the ski. I want to make a comparison here between, between that and... Damien Hobgood, 2005 out-chokes, getting absolutely slotted, coming out and doing the same thing. What do you reckon was better, Luke?
2: Oh, man. Taking a ski to the back doesn't look fun. (laughs) I can't judge on either of those, one being worse than the other. I reckon for me, the performance of the day went to Mark Matthews after what he's been through and absolutely sending it over the ledge. What an animal. That guy is the man. I love that guy.
1: And re-injuring himself in the process too, so <laughs> another broken foot.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, what, what luck! But I mean, he's he's gonna take that in his stride. Like I reckon, it's epic to see him back out there charging and being able to you know compete at that level again, whether it was successful or not for him. I think he should be super proud of what he's been able to achieve. I
0: saw an Instagram clip just before the day started. He was doing a bit of a warm up in his hotel or something, maybe. But it had a video of him stretching out that busted leg and it was grinding like the bone and ligaments everything was making the worst noise yeah it's good luck to you sir
1: a a unique injury he went through for sure it's one of the ones where i think it'll keep presenting challenges for him but i think it's great to see him back out there
0: there for a good time not a long time i think in his career
1: yeah yeah definitely uh As far as the swell goes, I know it was forecast to be a lot bigger for for Tassie. Like like you said, Nick, I think unless there's that danger element involved, it's not quite as exciting for a viewer. I think what makes an event like this exciting is uh, a lot of waves being ridden, and obviously guys going hard when it's big. I think part of that could be fixed by location or at least a consistent swell, because Shipstones i'm not sure if it's as consistent as say what what ours was in the previous installment <clears throat> but i think a better format for me is almost just sending those guys out there broadcasting it for two three hours on the peak of the swell have because it's going to be crowded anyway have 12 guys out there and then just pick the best three waves out of the those you know those 12 guys in the three hours what do you think
0: 100 percent. yeah well that would be a great idea i think um I think the most exciting thing about this is putting guys you see on Instagram or online a lot, training and talking about it and everything, and you get to see them in action for a day and see what it's actually really like when it's big. I always think when it's big, it's kind of like a free surf where you're catching 50, 60 waves and coming in from the day stoked, but these guys catch, you know, two, three day waves all day, and just goes to show how selective you've got to be at that size.
1: Yeah, I i agree part of the sport it's another you know they have the big wave world tour as an entire segment of the wsl i think it's one where they can continue to develop it and present it as a, a package that is a lot more enthralling for the viewer because that's what it's about there's not many people that can i mean you see these guys surf a wave like karamas where you can put yourself in that situation you know what it's like to surf you know for a four a footer with a nice clean wave but to it's not very often you get to witness guys surfing big shipstones or big jaws or any waves like that. And I think that's where they have a lot of equity in, in the you know big wave world tour and events like, like Cape Fear. And I think it's one where guys can find it. There's a lot of interest in there, which it'd be good to see them develop a little, a little bit more and, and kind of get the formula right and mm. go from there. Any input, Luke?
2: Yeah. I reckon they should probably pick out three or four different slabs around the world and just keep an eye on it throughout the year. And if one's gonna light up, jump ship to that spot, just make sure that it's a freak swell and the slabs lining up. The first hours contest was psycho. It set the bar so high, so it was always gonna be hard for shippies to live up to it. I think if you bring a few other places into the mix, you might be able to score one of those freak swells on a bit more of a regular occurrence.
1: Yeah, and that's how the big wave community kind of works as a whole. Is that they'll keep their eyes on the charts, and you see, you know, Chopes is having a swell at the moment, and there's a lot of big wave guys there, and you'll see it happen when there's a swell. You know, Nazaré, they'll all swamp in on that sort of location. So uh, it's not like these guys aren't used to using that way of life as the format for for how to go. But I mean, it's it's good to see, and I think it can only improve from here, which is good. So. Moving on to the QS, there are a couple of results. Um, Zigzag Durban Surf Pro, what went on there, Nick? Sewage issue. <laughs> Absolute shitstorm, you might say.
0: Stinking it up.
1: Yeah. Uh, so that one uh, over in Durban there was called off due to the water quality issues that they were having. Uh, other, other events that went down you had Billy Stannon winning the Gold Coast Open up at Burley there, the 1,500. And then you also had Vicente Romero winning over in Basque Country, but the the event that is actually still still going on now, which I've been keeping an eye on for our, our loyal listeners, because this week we actually have Coconut Chili Willy watch as Coconut Willy is competing or was competing in the event over in Chile. There uh, made a round, made it into round three. Ended up losing with a five-point total, unfortunately, just getting beaten by the ten points of Paul Caesar, Dis- Disdigwin, and Sebastian Correa. So unlucky, Willie! But head up onto the next one. Have you
0: coconut, Everybody knows coconuts are best served cold. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> another good in Bricks comment. It because... goes chilly, Willie. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's kind of it for the the, the qs there's a, a few events coming up like we said the the 10,000s are are on their way not a whole heap of movers um on the rankings there obviously the the winners billy Stamman moving up 40 or so place and the same with um vicente uh those guys are kind of shuffling their way up stewie kennedy also into the top 20 as well so that's good to see i think that should do us for for this episode
2: i want to know where coconut willie's sitting is he going to make the tour next year
0: uh, he can... might get into the top 100 he was,
1: Well he might have actually jumped up Let me see if I can find him Yeah.
0: He was 256th After Krui
2: Olympic hopeful
0: If only Hawaii could put 10 people in
2: He needs to find a random country to adopt him
0: Glenn Micro Hall <laughs> Look at you mate Go straight over to Ireland
2: Coconut Willy that age old Irish name Okay so Coconut Willy
1: Currently sitting at 284 fourth on the tour Uh, his average heat score is he's actually sitting at 10.29 so it's jumped up a little bit and his average wave score sitting at a 3.19 so things are looking good for willie
2: go willie love your work brother (laughs) Uh, thanks for coming nico good to have you thanks mate thank you luke thank you boys cheers
0: Peddison eating croissants in Bali. Okay, Sally Fitzgibbon sliding sideways.